I am afraid that I have much news, and most of it is terrible. Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm David. All right, today we've got some feedback to go through. David, you have the first bit of feedback, I think. Yeah, so uh, it's not feedback exactly. It's more an announcement of a forthcoming bonus episode. Uh, turns out I have a friend who works in a legal department at a at an insurance company. Uh, meaning someone with basically the same job title and description as him would have been the decision maker in the Sandy Hook Parents versus Bushmaster case. Uh, and he has agreed to come on for a bonus episode, so if you want to get some inside baseball on that, uh, support us on, uh, not Patreon, on Substack. Give us your money or else you'll miss out on the riveting conversation about insurance rates. Yes. This could be interesting. No, I think it will be. Okay. Um, all right, and Eniash, you had some comments from Man in White on the Discord. Yes. Uh, first, he is a native Russian speaker, and so he wanted to point out that when we were talking about that one video about the two ladies being arrested, uh, the first one I had been told was holding a sign that said, no war. In fact, the sign had the words, two words on it. Literally that. Um, so, <laughs> even crazier than we first thought. Uh, the second thing was a comment that I had made uh, that we should all go back to ignoring CDC guidelines like we always do, and I pointed out that the CDC, for example, recommends that women of reproductive age do not drink ever, regardless of whether or not they're on birth control. He asked if I was sure about that, and I thought I was sure about that, but then he made me doubt myself, so I went and looked it up, and what the CDC actually recommends is that uh, women of drinking age never have more than, than one drink a day, uh, although it can be okay to have, uh, to have some drinks if you are on birth control. Uh, and I... I was really surprised by that because I remember when the CDC made these guidelines several years ago and I was like, oh my God, that is outrageous. Women just can't drink. What the fuck, man? And, uh, and I was thinking of examples of outrageous CDC guidelines, you know, two weeks ago. And that immediately came to my mind. And I consider myself a fairly reasonable person. And so the outrageous recommendation would be no women can drink ever, even if they're on birth control. Uh, I, w I went back and looked it up and I back... When this was recommended, I was far more on the uh, liberal left side or left leftist side than I am now. And I read a lot of headlines that said, for example, uh, from bitchmedia.org, new alcohol guidelines treat all women as pre-pregnant. And basically there was a lot of complaints that uh, women were told not to drink anything at all unless they were on birth control and that even then it was kind of dangerous. And I don't think it's as unreasonable to say, you know, if you're sexually active and not on birth control, maybe don't drink um, now. Although, I, I guess that's a change in my position. I would have probably thought it was crazy uh, four, six years ago when this was first made uh, as a recommendation. So, uh, I, uh, basically, correction, the CDC does say it's okay to have a very few drinks if you are on birth control and a woman. All right. So, here's the actual reasonable suggestion. Hmm. Nobody should drink ever. It's it's very bad for you. It is. Um, but it's and also if I was fun. oh yes, but if I was in charge of public health, you know that would be my suggestion. Yeah. Um. It it's, it's I don't think it's actual good advice. 
Um, but in the same way, I, you know, I want the ACLU to be like crazy in favor of free speech, even when it's unreasonable, which they totally aren't. And they suck now. Um, I would, you know, I would be okay with the CDC being like, no, you just do the, the healthy thing. Don't do the thing that's unhealthy. Um, singling out women who might get pregnant. I, I feel like is dumb. Um, first of all, because you can't really hurt. Uh, a fertilized egg very much unless you're like really binge drinking right. um, even like even all the way through pregnancy it's okay to have one or two drinks a day ah. oh it is Tr- remember I've recently uh, had a child I looked up all this stuff I, I, yeah maybe yeah. one do you um, think two though yes yes Oh, okay, yeah, well. uh, see, see expecting better for the details that is, is that- my source material is that two throughout the evening, or can you just slam two shots? Um, no, it's two, you can slam two shots. Um, if you're drinking over a longer period of time, you can drink more. Okay. Um, but that I, I think it's silly to be like, well, if you might get pregnant, don't drink. Like, first of all, it only ever matters if you're pregnant right now. If you get wasted and then get pregnant tomorrow. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Right. So I think it's saying like, if you might currently be pregnant, um, but that seems. Uh, maybe, I feel like they should just put it that way. Well, their assumption is that any woman might be pregnant if she's not on birth control and not know it. Yeah, but that's dumb because a person being sexually active is kind of ambiguous. It could be like I had sex six months ago, or it could be I had sex yesterday. Like. Mm-hmm. I feel like, but I feel like the thing they're going for is you might be pregnant. So that's what the guidelines should say if that's what they want to go for. They're just a bad organization overall. (laughs) They are. And, you know, they should put out stupid recommendations so then people can see them and be like, well, I'm not doing what they say. And then they can, you know, generalize that to all suggestions the CDC makes. Yeah, except for some reason that last part never seems to quite happen. Gelman Amnesia. I think it did before the pandemic. Did anyone actually listen to the CDC before then? I mean, no one paid attention to the CDC. Yeah, exactly. They didn't, but like the, the, they didn't pay attention in the good way where you recognize the CDC exists and think it's actively bad. So you cut it out of your life. They just like didn't take it into consideration one way or the other. And I would guess if in 2019 you asked the typical American, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how good do you think the CDC is at their job? They'd probably rate it pretty highly. Not because they, uh, because they don't think the CDC's recommendations are bad. They just don't think about the CDC's recommendations at all. So when they finally manage to elbow their way into the spotlight like they did with COVID, then you have idiots thinking that the CDC is science, and if you hate the CDC, therefore you hate science. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But I I think the sad part is if you ask people today if the CDC is good at their job, they'd probably say yes. Unless they're, uh, you know, at least in blue states. Yes, that's my point. Oh, well, I think, but I think it would have been exactly the same in 2019. If he said, hey, is the CDC good at their job? People have been like, yeah, sure. I don't think anyone changed their mind much. Okay, let's get rid of the CDC and move on. (laughs) All right. Well, Ineash, I can tell you are really anxious to get to the regular news section because our first news story is that 
Will Smith uh, assaulted Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars, which uh, we wouldn't normally talk about, but it's funny, so we're going to. Well, it's funny, and it also, I think, is a interesting story about social norms. But uh, to quickly recap what happened, uh, Chris Rock was hosting the Oscars, which nobody watches anymore, except for this what two-minute clip, which is now one of the most watched things ever. But, yeah, uh, you've probably seen it if you're listening. Yes. Will Smith, uh, Will Smith's wife has a condition, alopecia, that causes all her hair to fall out. And, uh, Chris Rock was on stage making jokes about random people in the audience and, you know, what, what their difficulties might be. And he pointed at, uh, Will Smith's wife and was like, hey, can't wait to see in G.I. Jane 2. And at first, Will Smith, you know, was laughing about this. His wife was kind of uncomfortable. Uh, Chris Rock looked like he was going to move on to the next joke, but then, like, he stops because Will Smith walks up on stage, strides up to him, slaps just like a bejesus slap across his face and then goes back to his seats and tells uh chris rock to get his wife's name out of his fucking mouth or something like that and chris is like fuck okay and and then moved on um and this has sparked a lot of slap discourse apparently uh and i thought we should get in on the slap discourse before i discourse on it do you guys have anything uh any thoughts on this yes um I I have mixed feelings because on the one hand, uh, I feel like Chris Rock deserves a closed fist punch. But on the other hand, uh, the slap is more traditional for uh, a gentleman defending the honor of his lady. So you think he deserves uh, a punch because of the joke? Oh, oh, no, just because, like, you know, he's a man. So just all men in general deserve to be punched. Uh, no. No, 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 I'm just saying that, like, the proper way for two guys to have it out is with fists closed. Do, Thank do you, you for that very unique take on the situation, David. Uh, it's kind of sad that you think that's unique, but, um... Well, I think Chris Rock deserves a punch in the face, but only for his last couple of comedy specials. Yeah. They were not good. Um, but not not for the joke. I think uh, <laughs> Will Smith was uh, being a real dick. Eh. I started out um, on David's side, I think. I was like, oh, his wife had alopecia. Okay, he did the honorable thing, going up and, you know, defending his wife. But, like, the more I thought about it and, and the more I actually watched the clip, like, Chris Rock was delivering one of those, hey, we're all friends here. We got issues. I see you, Jada. You got alopecia. But hey, you do great in, you know, G.I. Jane too. So it's not all bad. That kind of, he was trying to be friendly. And, uh, and like, at first, Will Smith was even in on it. He's like, yeah, we're all friends here. And then, like, something turned him around. And he's like, oh, no, I have been offended and I must defend my honor. What turned him around was his wife explaining the joke to him. Okay. I, you know... Chris Rock was trying to be friendly, and Will Smith said, basically, we are not friends here. How dare you try to think that we can be friendly about this situation? And, like, more to the point, he didn't even give Chris Rock any sort of chance to, like, back down or apologize. There was no threatening posture. He kind of, like, walked up friendly-like and then sucker-punched him like a little bitch. Uh, he <laughs> and he Will did Smith, not. Uh, Will Smith again, didn't. He, uh, it, sucker it slapped, wasn't sorry, a punch. Sucker, sucker slapped him. And, like, Will Smith was not really doing anything courageous, because he's got, what, a foot and a half on Chris Rock? Chris Rock is a small dude. Like, that was that, that was really kind of embarrassing on Will Smith's part, how he reacted, I think. And yeah. it was way overblown. Yeah, so so two other 
uh, takes from David. Uh, first, I just want to point out how every single person on Earth is, like, visibly holding their breath, waiting for authority to tell them how to feel about this. Hmm. Um, but we can be that authority. Yeah, I know. Um, so, <laughs> uh, it, I, I think it's something of a sign of the times that, uh, like... Americans are having to relearn what, especially, like, high-status, uh, upper-class Americans are having to relearn how to respond to violence happening, uh, both on a personal level with this and on a geopolitical level with, uh, Ukraine, and that's kind of interesting to watch. Uh, the other take is it's not going to be great how they learn to respond to violence because next year's oscars are going to be way more highly rated than this year's was that'll be because people are hoping something else like this will happen and i would uh, so this i am pretty sure was not staged next year's fight definitely will be <laughs> i look forward to the uh 2032 oscars at which point they will have hopefully devolved into just like pay-per-view uh um uh, boxing with the stars <laughs> well i was going to say i was going to say professional wrestling where like people have to literally fight each other for the statues that will be glorious if slash when it happens and if there's any environment that could make it happen it would be the absolute drama queen slash attention whores at the academy oh sorry uh attention sex workers i have the exact opposite uh take or, or expectation that you do i don't think this will devolve into staged fights i think uh people in general but especially entertainers are going to be more and more cautious about potentially giving offense to anybody at any time and things are just going to become more lame and watered down like i remember when hugh jackman hosted a couple years ago i think and it was great and everyone was so happy that there was no controversy nothing you know nothing that that could be uncomfortable and i guess that's okay and all but like it's a sign of the times that people are deathly afraid of giving offense to anyone and watching all their speech and mannerisms just to keep everything like lame and watered down. I think it's going to be another five, ten years, and we're going to have to get someone like George Carlin or uh, or those other comedians of the the early '80s that started being like, "Fuck all this! I'm going to offend everybody because I'm an asshole." Thing, which I didn't think was funny. I thought it was really kind of shitty, but at least it returned the norms to stop walking on eggshells and holding your breath all the goddamn time because you might offend someone. Okay, counterpoint. There's two things that people at the Academy Awards care about. The people behind the curtain care about ratings, and the people in the audience care about attention. And no one got more uh, ratings and or attention than this debacle. I think you're underestimating how much the elite media types really want to be on the right side of any sort of cultural clash. And uh, not giving offense to anybody is a big part of that right now. Yeah, my take on this is that um, everybody in America is too sensitive about everything. Uh, so, you know, Will and Jada probably should have just laughed at the joke yeah. and maybe mentioned it to Chris Rock later. That was like, hey, we didn't appreciate that or something. Um, getting up and slapping the dude, I feel like, is uh, completely unnecessary. 
Like he's a comedian making a joke. It's necessary if you're part of a performative honor culture. Yeah, but like, yeah, but why is Will Smith part of a performative honor culture? Right. Like there is no, there is no society, there's no subculture of America farther from an honor culture than Hollywood. I think that <laughs> and the is fact the question that of these the times. fact that Will Smith is going to get attention and money for pretending to be in an honor culture is going to change that if anything can and God knows honor cultures have their problems but it'll be better than what we have right now. Well David, I think you're forgetting that Will Smith is from West Philadelphia and is a fish <laughs> out of water in California. Uh, David, I think that is the question of the current day, and I think the answer is that wokeism is at least part in honor culture. No, it's not. Eh. Woke it, so, okay, so really? that so wokeism the so opposite culture. Of that. Yeah, no. So um, uh, Jonathan Haidt talks about this in uh, the Righteous Mind. A um, an honor culture is quick to anger, and you seek redress from the person who angered you. A dignity culture is slow to anger, and you seek redress from third parties. Cancel culture is a mutant, which is quick to anger, but you seek redress from third-party mediation, a.k.a. cancel mobs. So, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely not honor culture, and it, be, it becoming honor culture would be a significant improvement, even if, in general, I'm more of a dignity guy. I don't know. You don't think that the trying to corral a cancel mob online is an attempt to use a weapon since there's no other way to attack somebody online? Um, I think like, the fact that there's no other way to attack someone online means that honor culture is impossible online. All right, so you think it literally has to be a physical personal attack? I mean, it doesn't have to be a physical personal attack, but like, uh, if if Will Smith had gotten up on stage and yelled at him or something like that, like as long as it was him face to face with Chris Rock and them like personally engaging with each other in some way, then it would have been honor culture. A physical attack was not necessary, but it was certainly sufficient. Hmm. All right, I will think on this further. <laughs> All right, can we move on now? Yeah. All right, let's move on to less important news. Ukraine. <laughs> um, it seems to be going pretty well for the Ukrainians. Yeah. Uh, last episode was two weeks ago, and we were kind of shocked that Ukraine wasn't, like, completely steamrolled. Um, now they seem to be keeping uh, Russia at bay pretty well. Um, so much so that there are some reports that Russia is just going to be pulling back and switching their focus to the Donbass region, which uh, everyone kind of thought was the point in the beginning. Um, these are the, the so-called separatist regions that have a lot of there, there's like two cities or, or areas over there that seem very pro-Russian that Russia's like, well, we want independence for them. Um, so that seems to be like that's going to be their focus moving forward. Not only uh, are they switching to to focus on the Donbar region, but they're trying to spin it as that was their idea the whole time, uh, saying that the phase <laughs> one is is yeah. complete. They, oh, they oh is that what victory. they've said? Yes, that uh, they have declared victory in General Ukraine, where their mission was to weaken the Ukrainian army, and now they're going to uh, move on to phase two, where they liberate the Donbass region. 
I'm pretty sure phase two was just question marks and phase three was profit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a rearguarded action to try to save face. Yeah, phase one, lose 15,000 troops in Ukraine. <laughs> phase two, question, question, question. Phase three, profit. Yes, Good one, and, Putin. Uh, and uh, also part of phase one, uh, losing more general staff officers than have been lost in all other conflicts in all of the 21st century. And really just pointing out to everybody in the immediate region that you're not so good at making wars anymore. No, that's not what happened. They are totally awesome at war. They won, dude. This was, yeah, yeah this, was the, this was the intention all the time. Also, they've always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, in, a <laughs> in another tiny dick energy move, uh, Putin's out there complaining that he's getting canceled and comparing himself to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I, I have no comment other than to laugh. Yeah. I, what I really want to know is after the nuclear apocalypse, when people finally start uh, recovering artifacts of these uh, uh, ancient times, what are they going to think of J.K. Rowling? <laughs> Because ever, because everyone's constantly comparing themselves to her, but it always seems to be bad people comparing themselves to her. Well, and I will go on record that the Mind Killer podcast is nothing like J.K. Rowling. <laughs> She's very successful. Oh, okay. <laughs> ow. <laughs> I mean, not wrong though. I mean, listeners, if you want to give us some more money, yes. you could help. Yes, you like yes Rowling, help us be like J.K. Rowling. Yeah, help us be like J.K. Rowling. Give us money and tell all your friends to listen to The Mind Killer. I thought that would help us beat J.K. Rowling. I guess it well, depends on how you feel about J.K. Rowling. If you don't like her, help us beat J.K. Rowling by subscribing to us. If you do like her, help us be like her by subscribing to us. Yes, brilliant. Biden, on the other hand, is trying to cancel Russia and get them kicked out of the G20. And he's also calling for regime change, which is a, a fine thing for the president to be doing. Well, so I, I don't think he was calling for that. I feel like I feel he like, wouldn't mean to. I feel like there's not many other ways to parse one head of state saying another head of state cannot be allowed to continue in power. Yeah, but wasn't that on a hot mic? Uh, I don't think so. I think that was during a speech. Oh, was it? We all knew he was thinking it. Yeah, I mean, who isn't well, thinking yes, it? Well, yes, of course, but, like, you you don't say it out loud. <laughs> Joe Biden has a really, really big problem with saying the silent part out loud. This has been a pattern yeah, this for a while. Yeah, he does, except up till now it hasn't been a potential cause of World War Three. he's been saying out loud. Yep, yep. Oh, you're right, it was part of a uh, a speech. Oh, and then he tried to walk it back. This is last sad later Saturday, a White House official attempted to clarify that Biden was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or regime change, but rather was making a point that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. I will bet yeah, you Yeah, that's definitely what happened. I will bet you five bucks that uh Politifact is rating um did Biden say uh Putin cannot be allowed to continue in power as mostly false right now. Oh, God, you're probably right. I will not take that bet. I do think, I saw a uh, 
analysis recently that said when uh, Putin came out with his uh, don't fuck with us or we will use nuclear weapons statement, uh, it seems to have been a response to someone in Europe saying, one of the NATO members, saying something which was a little sloppy and could possibly be interpreted as a veiled warning that NATO is going to oppose Russia and Thus, you know, Putin came out with uh, his counterstatement that if you do that, there will be nukes involved. And the the point being made was, you know, everybody should be very, very, very careful with what they actually say and how it could be interpreted when nukes are involved, uh, which I think is, first of all, really good advice. And uh, I, I hope our world leaders take that into account and that the rest of us don't have to live our lives like that, especially those of us who are trying to be entertainers at the Oscars. That does seem like pretty good advice. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. <laughs> This is this is a great this is a great story out of Russia. The Russian Defense Ministry is now claiming that not only are there, you know, Ukrainian bioweapons labs, which they've been doing for a while, but now they're claiming that Hunter Biden personally financed them. That's which is just amazing. That's quite a claim. They're really they're really learning from Trump. I find like, this is weird and interesting because what's-her-name Tulsi Gabbard keeps pointing out that we know there's bio labs in Ukraine that are financed by the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and it's possible some of them have some dangerous contagion that we should try to get out of there before, I don't know, possibly they get hit in one of Russia's attempts to hit something else. They are, yeah. They aren't being Every, very accurate. And everyone, Everything Tulsi Gabbard is saying is completely reasonable and everyone is freaking out at her. Yeah, and they're like, you're saying that we're financing bioterrorism inside Ukraine and like, she's not saying that and also, shut the fuck up, she's right. <laughs> we should try to get anything that is uh, contagious and possibly dangerous out of Ukraine ASAP. Yeah, so we were talking about this on the Discord and somebody was like, oh man, one of Tulsi Gabbard's... Uh, uh, her donors has ties is suspected of being a Russian agent. <laughs> and it was like, he gave her like $60. Yeah. Some, some, some person gave her 60 bucks and that makes Tulsi Gabbard a Russian asset. Yeah. I mean, uh, man. I would become a Russian asset for 60 bucks. <laughs> it, it would well, Russia. Be, if you're listening, it, it would have to be an hourly donation of 60 bucks for me. You know I mean, we're all Russian assets already because here we are saying Tulsi Gabbard did nothing wrong. Oh boy! Uh, no, not you. You're not a Russian asset. You're no. you're a baby. They they try to get him young nowadays. Nah, she'll never turn. She loves America. She's very patriotic. Hmm. I have my doubts, but she's wearing we'll red, out. white, and blue right now. Oh, uh-huh. you know who else wears red? Everyone in Russia. Oh no! <laughs> Maybe she is Russian. Um. So here's a fun twist. Putin has now demanded that all natural gas payments from what he's calling hostile countries, so basically Europe, uh, get made in rubles. Um, And the G7 countries are all like, we're not going to do that. Huh. And Zvi is speculating that this might be what gets them to stop buying Russian gas, which would be amazing. It'd be a total cell phone by Putin. So they're... They're actually going to stop buying Russian gas because Putin actually will only accept rubles. Well, so far, so far what's happened is Putin said you have to pay in rubles and they've said no. I, I fully expect that Putin will cave and be like, all right, you can pay in other currencies. Um, but it's possible that they just, they, they reach a, a stalemate and they're like, all right, well, I guess we're not buying your gas then. 
Well, getting paid in other currencies doesn't really help him if he can't spend those currencies due to everything being frozen, right? Well, he can spend those currencies. I guess if he got them in cash? I, I feel like you're, um... I can't remember what I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) Have they made it that Russia can spend money in for for other things that is, uh, you know, that goes through the SWIFT banking system? Yeah. So all of it's only their biggest banks, I believe, that have been kicked out of that. I think there are some smaller banks in Russia that are part of it. And just in general, I haven't heard anything about Russia not Russia like as a government not being able to pay for imports or anything like that um if they actually have the money. So I don't think that's the real issue. He wants it in rubles because he's trying to stabilize his currency which is in freefall. Yeah. Um uh, but nobody's going to do that. So we'll see what happens with the uh, Ukrainian gas situation. But if, you know, if the if Europe stops buying their gas, that that's I that's it for this economy, right? Like, Russia's just completely out of money. Well, and also Europe is going to be paying a fuck ton of money for gas. Yeah, but, you know. Their economy fine. is also screwed, just not as badly. Yeah, it's it won't be good, but, you know, maybe uh, more of them will decide to go nuclear in the good way. Yeah. Apparently Russia already has had to stop uh, production on some of their tank lines because they can't get component parts anymore. Damn that supply chain. Mm-hmm. It's a very interconnected world. It kind of makes you think, you know, if you're an empire, you should just put everything that you need for all your industrial inputs under your direct control. Maybe, like, invade Ukraine if they have something that you'd need. <laughs> yeah, just go take it. Well, I, I mean, I kind of see That's what a point. strong country would do. Yes. Not like a weak little mamby-pamby country like the United States. Uh, speaking of strong moves, apparently Ukraine has canceled taxes? Yes, uh, Zelazny said that uh, do... Zelensky. Oh, sorry. I, w- I was thinking about the uh, sci-fi author for some reason. Zelensky <laughs> said that for the duration of martial law and at least a year after its end, taxes are down to 2%. And also, if you can, pay. If you can't, there are no questions. Hey. That's yeah. pretty based. It is. The government's got more important things to do right now. This is how anarcho-capitalism starts, baby. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, my favorite thing was before this. Apparently, it's not an issue anymore. But he, he said he came out with a statement that was like, "Look, any tanks you steal from the Russians, you don't have to declare those on your taxes. Yeah. Right? That's not income." <laughs> well, well, it's not income until you realize the capital gains by selling the tank. I'm pretty sure they won't be allowed to keep those tanks after the war is over if they still have them. So hurry and sell those. I'm pretty sure that anyone who has a tank stuffed in or stowed in their barn also probably has a couple dozen full auto um, AK-12s buried in the backyard. And so uh, after the war is over, the Ukrainian government, whatever that ends up looking like, can fucking come and take them. You know, governments really like tanks. I think they'd be willing to take them. I feel like it's much more likely that they'll be like, okay, anyone who has a tank, you're in the army now. <laughs> Bring your tank. Yeah. I so, feel like yeah, it's I... much more likely that they say, hey, anyone who has a tank will give you a couple million for it. What? Paying people for things instead of just taking them? That doesn't Crazy. sound like a government to me. Nope. I do think it's impressive that he has that much confidence in his people that they are going to willingly give money over to the government because, you know, they're fighting the Russians right now. That's that's pretty awesome. 
says good things about him and his countrymen. Yeah, it's weird when your country's doing something you actually want them to do, how willing people are to, you know, support it financially. Super weird. Super weird. All right, um, Inyash, what's this about uh, developers putting out malware? Again, with the social norms that are just being trashed. Uh, A developer, uh, this is for um, open source software. A developer has been caught adding malicious code to a popular open source package that wiped files on computers located in Russia and Belarus. Just, just. If you were in Russia or Belarus, your files were gone. Uh, as a dependency, this uh, thing called Node IPC is automatically downloaded and incorporated into other libraries uh, and has more than 1 million weekly downloads. It would check the IP address of developers who used the Node-IPC in their projects, and if the IP address was geolocated in either Russia or Belarus, it would wipe all the files off their machine. Uh, also, the author of this Node-IPC maintains 40 other libraries. Some of them are also dependencies for other uh, open-source software packages. So basically, this one guy has managed to destroy the, the open-source movement. And I, not, I mean, not entirely. I'm catastrophizing right here. But, like, you can't apparently use open-source software anymore without fearing that maybe somebody is going to come along and destroy every file on your computer, possibly because you happen to be in a country that got involved in some national scandal, possibly for no reason at all, but you don't... I mean, I understand wanting to support Ukraine and, and being against Russia, but this is not how to do it. This is just burning the fucking commons for basically no gain, because I'm pretty sure the Russian government isn't using open-source software in their military hardware. It's just fucking innocent people in Russia for no reason and destroying the open source commons while you're doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah that bad. does make me uh, feel more cautious about getting open source software in the future. But I guess that's helpful that this was exposed as a vulnerability. I don't know. Maybe they'll fix this in the future so you can't do that. I hope. I, I, don't, I don't. I'm just very disappointed. Because my name's go definitely going to be added to a list of people that aren't allowed to download stuff. I'm like, I've canceled like four times now. Also, don't go around slapping people significantly shorter than you for making a joke. <laughs> That's probably going to get me on the list, too. <laughs> Somehow it's racist to say that, I'm sure. Hey, uh, how about don't go around making jokes about sick women? It's alopecia. It's not that big a deal. And also, he was, you know, trying to have a... a camaraderie atmosphere all right all right we moved on from this we're talking about ukraine now (laughs) okay i understand it was the most important news but now we're talking about less important stuff like food shortages due to the ukraine war yeah uh biden and a lot of people are saying to expect real food shortages due to the ukraine war and possibly famine in some very poor countries that uh import a lot of their wheat yeah because ukraine just grew a lot of food right Ukraine and Russia both actually grew, uh, I think, like a quarter of the world's wheat and um, or a quarter of the exported wheat. But uh, yes, they they grew a whole lot and uh, they exported a whole lot. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. It it does. Uh, And um, honestly, I agree that there's likely going to be severe food shortages for uh for certain impoverished areas uh it's gonna suck for them uh i think maybe there'll be some price increases in the u.s but not necessarily sure how much i don't think anyone here is going to be seriously hurt by it although i do have a farmer friend who said that uh last year he was getting three dollars a bushel for wheat and this year it's up to 12 which is oh yeah a huge increase but um the counterpoint to all this is that the black sea wheat is 25 of exports, not 25% of 
25% of exports, not of all world production. Uh, the total world production is only being reduced by approximately 1% uh, by cutting out all of the Ukraine and Russia wheat. So, because most countries grow enough wheat to feed their, their own peoples. Uh, and also, this is something that was foreseen and hedged against. The world's farmers started planting more wheat four months ago because wheat futures were rising dramatically at the time due to a possibility of a Black Sea conflict, which uh, I guess just goes to show that the, the market works and capitalism is good. Capitalism can prevent famine by having things like futures that drive up prices before before the famine's going to hit. Uh, I think David is going to do a quick victory dance here. Uh, I am not, uh, because, like, that's great and all, but the big importer of, um, of Black Sea foodstuffs was the Middle East. Yeah. And they definitely can't feed themselves. And yeah. other than possibly India, I can't see anyone else... Uh, making up the shortfall, and like even India need like they'd need to get Iran on side or uh, ship it through the stands, which is probably not a uh, super secure shipping route. So that is that is the the major yeah. problem, which is uh, also was commented on in this link that I have linked. Oh shit, I didn't link it. I'll find yeah. it and link it real quick so you have it for the official podcast. But yes, uh, but yeah, in, it, the na- shortfall nowadays. Was, Nowadays, the um, famines never happen because there's not enough production. They just happen because it's hard to get food to mouths in places where the famine's happening. And yeah. like, I, I, I believe, is... I believe that the, I believe that the total amount of wheat produced in the world won't change. But like, there, there's, there's mouths close to Ukraine and Russia that's n- that aren't particularly close to uh, anyone else that's uh, able to make up that shortfall. So I still think it's way too early to call on not having serious uh, um, famines. famines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sh- projected shortfall is about 7 million tons, which is 1% uh, of the world production of 700 uh, 770 million tons normally. Uh, and yeah, the U.S. itself planted 4 million more tons than last year. Uh, India went all out. A lot of countries are getting in on this. But yeah, like you said, the supply chain is a massive issue. Um, even as was pointed out, even a one week delay in supply chain can kill you because it doesn't take that long to starve to death. So important to start pointing out that the, the problem isn't lack of wheat. It is lack of shipping logistics. Hey, Midwest farmers. It's not too late to plant wheat. <laughs> it is too late to plant wheat, but that's not is the it? problem. It was planted four uh, months ago. Was... Yeah, in India. No, no, no. Here in the U.S. too. That's when the the planting season was. What they plant their wheat in? Wait, December planting wheat season is isn't weird, spring. Man. It depends on the crop, and wheat has both fall and spring uh, crops, and the fall one is usually uh, the the larger one. Huh. Well, but the fall one would be planted in summer the, oh my god you're right they say you could plant an early fall for an overwintered crop yep. but you can still spread plant you can still plant weed in the spring that's how you get a, uh, a fall crop i suppose you could if you want to keep planting in the spring yeah and they yeah. probably do want to although again that's that's not going to be the major issue they might just have a lot of wheat here that they can't ship where they want to ship it to could be gotta get those uh super tankers into the the port at los angeles that's right 
All right. Um, so, Russia and Ukraine are still negotiating peace. Nobody's quite sure how sincere either side is. Um, but Zelensky's come out and said he's uh, open to Ukrainian neutrality, which would mean no joining NATO, no joining any kind of... Uh, uh, None of, none of those alliances. Although, he says that the alliance will have to be guaranteed by third parties, which sounds a lot like similar to joining NATO. Like, I, I don't know what that even means. If it's not, we're going to form a defensive alliance with, you know, the United States or some other NATO power. Um, But he says they'll agree not to have any nukes, no foreign bases. Um, But... You know, the main sticking points are, of course, Crimea and Donbass. Um, Russia wants to recognize Crimea as part of Russia, and he wants independence for Donbass. And Zelensky's like, no, those are Ukraine. Go fuck yourself. Uh, and I do, you know, I do think it's important for Zelensky to stick to his guns here. Right now, all he's offering is was the status quo before the war. Uh, I think it's really dangerous if Putin gets a win from this. Um, I, I yeah, I guess yeah i i'm not sure whether it's more dangerous for putin to get a win from this or for putin to not uh because like if putin doesn't get some kind of a win from this then he's screwed and if he's screwed in the medium to long term then that means we don't know what the fuck he's gonna do in the short term and he has options that include start shooting nukes uh so that's not great uh the solution i've heard which i like is just do a like straight up and down popular referendum in the contested regions see i knew you were gonna say that and you know how i knew that because you've also read zvi's blog no because david friedman was the one that made that suggestion oh he was oh yeah he was wasn't he he posted Um, it on his blog yeah, I knew I'd seen that on someone's blog. Um, uh, yeah, and like the, it lets both Putin and Zelensky save face. Uh, it if the uh, election is actually done fairly, then presumably both sides think they would win. Uh, so yeah, I can I can definitely see that uh, being a way to defuse this without um, uh, putting any of the leaders involved through very fraught short-term waters, uh, which is a good way to not get World War III, which if that's not everyone's top priority in resolving this, then that's not good. Yeah, I think that's a good solution. I'm not sure if it is really going back to the status quo. I mean, on paper, the situation would be the same as before the war, but now Russia is both militarily weakened and everybody knows it, and uh, Ukraine just has a much stronger hand and also is much more united than it was before. Like, I think even just returning back to the situation it was before where Ukraine stays how it is and Donbass and uh, and Crimea are are being liberated, quote-unquote liberated by Russia, is, is still a win for Zelazny and a loss for, um, for Putin. Zelensky. Zelensky, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think this would I think no matter what happens, this is actually a loss for Russia. Yeah. Uh it remain, remains to be seen if it's going to be a win for Ukraine. Um but yeah, but, Russia is already going to be worse off after this than they were when they started. 
They've been exiled from the world community, basically, and their economy is going to go fucking dive-bombing here. Yeah, and it's hard to see, like, what they could do besides just admitting defeat and pulling out that would get those sanctions lifted in the, the near term. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would like... I think the, the referendum idea is a good one. Say, you know... We all believe in self-determination. Let these places decide which country they want to be a part of. Um, and get, you know, get the get Europe and uh, you, the U.S. on board to lift the sanctions if they agree to that. I think they would. Well, they can try. Negotiations, negotiations are ongoing. Yep. All right. So, moving on from Ukraine. Uh, we had Katanji Brown-Jackson had her confirmation hearings. They were dumb. Uh, it was just like all confirmation hearings of Supreme Court justices. Um, there was a lot of grandstanding and monologuing and nothing of substance discussed. Um, Josh Hawley tried to make it out that, like, like Judge Jackson is soft on child porn, which was fun. Can you give us details about that, or do you want to not get canceled? Um, I don't... I mean, this is like way down the list of things I'd get, I'd get canceled for. Okay. Uh, no, she basically like she gave criminal. She hand, as part of her job as a judge, she handed out criminal sentences, um, and sometimes they were to people who were convicted of on child porn charges. I think the one that really caught attention was a 19-year-old had child porn, and she let him off with an extremely light sentence for, I don't know, mitigating circumstances or whatever, and that got a lot of people up in arms. Yeah, so the thing to understand about that is the federal sentencing guidelines are absolutely insane, Mm -hmm. and the prosecutor in that case, and in most cases, agrees that they're too harsh and doesn't even ask for um, anything within the guidelines. Uh, in that case, I think she sentenced him to six months, and I think the um, the prosecution was asking for something like a year or or something like that. It was something. It wasn't much more than what he actually ended up getting. Um, and then there was he seemed. It seems like he reoffended because they modified his probation late because he he got six years of probation, and they modified the probation later to send him to an institution. So the presumption there is that he reoffended. Um, but I couldn't find out how he reoffended, or if he even did, or if he, you know, he could have done this on his own initiative, saying, like, I need to be institutionalized. Can you modify my sentence? Um, but that's unlikely. It's the most likely thing is that he reoffended, but I don't know. And then she sent him to uh, an institution for, I think, another six months or so. Um, but it was all, like, very normal, what any federal judge would do. Um, there was nothing out of the ordinary about it. It's mainly important because the QAnon folk are very highly focused on this. Uh, all the elites in power are child molesters, and uh, yeah, they're all about it. It's their thing. But it's like they think it's only the left wing elites. I believe it's the right wing too. Just there's much fewer on the on the right side. Like Trump was supposed to get out all the uh, the right wing offenders as well, which is almost all of them, all the rhinos supposedly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I. But yes, you're right. They do focus much more on the left wing than the right wing in terms well, of yes. who molests kids. The the QAnon conspiracy is that Trump is like was like going undercover with Jeff Epstein to try and like defeat the child porn ring. All right. Uh, <laughs> like, it's so stupid. That's what the U.S. was actually founded upon. <laughs> yeah. 
when everyone knows it was founded in 1619 on slavery. Yeah, yeah. That's that how Sathonix works. But, you know, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, she's going to be confirmed. Manchin released a statement saying he'll vote to confirm. So that was really the only one anyone was worrying about. I guess Kristen Cinema could go nuts again, but it, she's probably not going to. I thought the most interesting thing... Uh that came out of this confirmation hearing was the fact that we have now publicly acknowledged that we cannot say uh, what a woman is in, uh, in public. Like when she was asking you to find a woman, she said, no, I'm not a biologist. And, you know, on the one hand, that's a patently absurd uh, answer. But on the other hand, that is the only safe answer to give right now uh, if you care about reputation. And that's an interesting observation. Well, that's interesting. What? Uh, wh- how would you answer that question? Huh. Right? It's a hard question. I mean, it's not the hardest question, but I wouldn't say I can't say because I'm not a biologist. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I, I would I say would... what I would say is it depends on context. I think somebody sure. could be a woman in, in some contexts and a, a man or some other gender in other contexts. And it really depends on, you know, what is what is the what, why are you asking? Like, yeah, is this am I at a doctor's office uh, or this am I obviously... at a? Or am I at a partner dancing event? Yeah. Like this is obviously a trap. Yeah. Oh, it was obviously a trap. Yeah. So I don't. I don't really care what her answer was because she didn't. It was a trap, and she didn't step into it. Like. Yeah. That's what. Uh, that's what actually happened. So I don't. You know, when she says I'm not a biologist, that seems like a perfectly fine answer to me. It's a way to get out of the trap, but I still find it interesting that that is one of the only ways to get out of that trap right now. Anything else she would have said would have been ammunition against her by one side or the other yeah fair enough but that's you know that's the culture war i'm sure there's 50 or so questions you could have asked that are the same thing yeah so um i thought i can robot on twitter had a pretty good uh answer to that question what you do is you get a bunch of pictures of people then you hire some filipinos on mechanical turk to sort them into man and woman and then you use those as training data uh for uh uh, machine vision software to learn how to define man and woman, and then for any individual case, you just run them through the program. Oh, I think that's a terrible answer. <laughs> I think <laughs> that that's the like objectively the answer. best answer, and you guys are crazy if you disagree. <laughs> Alright. Uh, there's a lot of times where you would possibly want to know what someone's sex is, regardless of how they present. I feel like if that's your biggest objection to that plan, then uh, you didn't understand several important parts <laughs> about the plan. Okay. Like, it I think, is a bad plan for many reasons. I think part of the trap is that it conflates gender and sex when it's asked, and nobody cares to unconflate those. Because sometimes we care about gender, and sometimes, although far more rarely, we care about sex. Well, it's, you know, it's culture war fodder, even the idea that they're separate. I that thought... there is such a thing as sex. Oh, okay. Well, th- yeah, that's that's the newest and stupidest one. But oh, sure. that's been around for you know at least five years. Yeah, it's been much more popular lately. Well, yes, this whole this whole issue has been much more popular lately. Yeah. Um, but Judge Jackson uh, did not care to comment on it. So, which I think was, yes, was smart on her part. So she's going to get confirmed. So she will be our next Supreme Court justice. All right. Uh, which will be fun. She'll probably be better than, uh, what's the guy's name she's replacing? Andrews, the, was it? No. No. It's Andrews. It's, uh, oh, Breyer. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, he's he's boring. And 
basically just very predictable and uh which is probably good he's one of the supreme court justices whose name i don't know offhand so yes uh boring is probably a good way to describe him yeah supposedly that's what you're supposed to want the most in a justice boring and predictable so that the law doesn't change predictable is good but boring not necessarily because it just means he'll just rule basically he'll just rule however like the 10 justices before him did um and any party line vote he'll he'll side with the party which is you know could be better yeah uh but also could be way worse and probably you know 95 percent of what jackson will do so but if he's ruling the same way as 10 justices before him how could he possibly rule about emails and laptops what makes you think he understands email uh, th- this is my segue to the next story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. that's, that's the point. His 10 previous justices didn't understand anything about those either. Well, um, neither does the mainstream media, apparently, because they've. it's recently come out that the New York Times has admitted that the Hunter Biden laptop story was real, uh, which a lot of people were claiming was fake news right before the election. So if you don't remember this story, this was like three weeks before for the 2020 election, Rudy Giuliani comes out waving around this laptop that he claims to have gotten from a Delaware repair shop mm-hmm. that belonged to Hunter Biden and had lots of emails on there um, between him and Burisma uh, talking about how, you know, corrupt they were. And who is Burisma? Burisma was the energy company from Ukraine that he was on the board of. For no reason other than this, his last name was Biden. And the emails were basically stuff like, haha, we're so corrupt, isn't this great? Uh, no, they were actually like very normal, uh, boring emails. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was thanks for the money that we're going to use to do gain a function research on our bioweapons in our bio lab. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, it was basically the shitty sequel to the Hillary Clinton emails. Now, what was actually on there that anyone would have cared about was a suggestion that the Burisma executives had met with Joe Biden and that Hunter Biden had been able to arrange this. Um, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden both deny that. The emails, see, like, they sort of suggest that it happened, but don't really say it. So something that's not a big deal was denied for no reason, but the denials were all lies because it did actually happen. Well, yeah, so what, I, what happened was the media all passed on this story, basically, including Fox News, because it was Rudy Giuliani, and who the fuck would trust Rudy Giuliani? Mm. Uh, and the only, the only outlet that would pick it up was the New York Post, which is basically a tabloid. Um, and it blew up because, mostly because Facebook and Twitter decided that you're not allowed to talk about this story. Mm. Uh, because it was, you know, potentially Russian election meddling or something. It was, yes, literally fake news planted by the Russians. Yeah, um, which apparently it was not. Now, at the time, as I recall, and I, you know, I'd, I'd actually like to go back and listen to our episode that we did around here because I'm sure we talked about it. But at the time, I thought it was pretty clear that it was probably the emails were probably real, um, but that they were, you know, not interesting. Yeah, they were, they were no big deal. Yeah, and I, you know, I looked up the New York Times story about it. They, that's basically what they said too. Um, I don't know if they stealth edit it because sometimes they do that. But um, their story is basically like, yeah, there's this 
laptop. It has some emails on it. Here's what they say. Um, and there's like nothing super sensational in there. Uh, and the real story to my, to me, the real story was always just Facebook and Twitter go overreacting, um, and just clamping down on it, which I thought was insane. So wait a minute, a, a entity with the power to censor people did so for their own political gain. They, they, they censored the literal truth and said it was lies because it was advantageous for them politically to do so. I mean, was it? I don't know. Probably. Probably. I just, I am shocked, shocked that this sort of thing could happen in a society that thinks censorship is a good thing. I don't know, Eniash. You don't sound that shocked. It's pretty shocking. Um, I actually was pretty shocked at the time that they were, first of all, that both companies did this together and that they were like, you can't share this. We're just, and they, um, they suspended the New York Post account. Twitter did. Oh, yeah. No, it was completely fucked up. I'm just yeah. not shocked that they somehow managed to censor a true story because obviously that's going to happen if you're okay with censorship. Yeah, I just, I didn't think that they would do it so heavy-handedly. Mm. Like, I thought they would just, you know, maybe delist it or something. Like, it wouldn't show up in searches and it wouldn't, you know, sharing it would get shared less. But they were just like, no, you cannot talk about this. Isn't it not showing up in searches the same thing as censoring it? Yes. Okay. It's, you know, but that's the kind of censorship I expect. Ah. Uh, still very bad. Yes. Uh, tech companies, don't do that. <laughs> um, the reaction, though, I was pretty happy, was mostly negative to what they did, and I don't, I don't know if they'll, they'll do that in the future. Um, I think Twitter even issued, like, an apology. Nice. That was like, oh, uh, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Uh, but that was when uh, when Jack, whatever his name, was still was still running it, and not are, the new guy. Are they still uh, to this day labeling some things as misinformation and censoring them though? Uh, I think I know Facebook is. I'm not on Twitter much, so I don't know. So they're changing nothing. No. Well, not. <laughs> I mean, they they haven't done this particular thing again. <laughs> okay, they did again suppress this particular story. No, I mean they haven't like. They haven't declared any story off limits and said you can't share this. Okay. Um, they yeah they are including their little like this may contain misinformation, but it's not like you can't share it. All right. I'll, hopefully people will start regarding the this may contain misinformation the same way they regard all the CDC guidelines. <laughs> Don't worry. I think they already are. Yeah. Uh, all right. Another story. Um, oh, a study came out about excess deaths in the time of COVID. Uh, specifically in European countries and showed basically no difference in countries like like any differences in excess deaths were completely uncorrelated with uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions that the countries did. So like some of them locked down a lot. Some of them barely locked down at all. Um, and the excess deaths were like completely uncorrelated with the lockdown level. Did we ever get a bet nailed down about that? Because I remember there was talk of a bet uh, about whether we thought lockdowns would work. And I'm almost positive Wes was part of the discussion, but I didn't see anything in a cursory glimpse around the bets log. I don't think anyone made a bet on it. Um, I put on my prediction document from uh, for my, my 2021 predictions that Sweden uh, would not be have like the highest case rate or death rate in Europe because uh, they're the one that did basically no lockdowns. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was pretty clear by the beginning of 2021 that these lockdowns were like, unless you were doing it super hard like China was, that it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna actually be helpful. 
Yeah, I mean, COVID time was a flat circle, so it could have happened, like, in April 2020, or it could have happened <laughs> two months ago. I don't know. Yeah, in April 2020, it was uh, much more up in the air. And uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't have clear memories of you being on the uh, lockdowns will be effective side of that. I just vaguely remember you being involved somehow. So I certainly expected lockdowns to be effective at the beginning, but that confidence evaporated, you know, once it uh, uh, encountered reality. I mean, I think they would have been very effective if it was a literal lockdown where nobody can leave their house for two weeks. Right. That is not what happened. No. I mean, I think we did kind of we did we did a real lockdown for a couple of weeks. I remember like I didn't leave the house. Yeah, I mean, some people voluntarily did, but the point is you have to have everyone in society be forced to do it and have you know the military roaming the streets and finding and throwing in jail anyone who breaks breaks the uh, the going outside rule, and no one did that, so there were some people... I mean, there were even people that were encouraged to go outside because they were in essential industries, like delivering food or whatever, which I guess, you know, is essential, but if you're actually going to have a lockdown, you deliver two weeks of food to everybody's door, and then you lock down, and if some people die because their medical conditions aren't taken care of, you know, that's part of a lockdown, and nobody was willing to do that, which I don't blame them for, but also means there was never a real lockdown, there was just immense misery imposed on people for no gain. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so next time, let's just not do the lockdowns. Everyone agreed? All right, or, good. Or actually do a hard lockdown, if it really is like, you know, uh, a no, serious No, thing. let's not do that, because, you know, China did that, and they seem to have done nothing but buy time, which they proceeded to squander. Yeah, I mean... China could have gotten out of this well because they could all be vaccinated with good vaccines now. They just decided not to. Like, if there was a literal zombie virus, I think locking down for two weeks and then closing all borders hard would work. In theory. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no solutions. There's just trade-offs. The question isn't, would it work? It's, would it be worth the cost? Yeah, and a lot of people would die if we closed all borders. And I think if there was, like, a real zombie virus, people would just lock themselves down. Also that. That, yeah, good point. Um, you know, the government would have to do the closing borders thing, I think. But that would be the extent of what what they would really need to do in that situation. Yeah. The, uh, the people who were, uh, you know, against lockdowns would, you know, just turn into zombies. And then uh, that situation would work itself out. Um, the real, I mean, the real problem here with the tension of lockdowns was that this... COVID's just not that dangerous, and people could see that. Yeah. So they were like, what do I care if I get COVID? I see everyone who's gotten COVID, it looks like the flu, and they're fine. Well, especially after, after like, you've got the vaccine. a week. Yeah, but even before that, though. Even before that, sometimes people were dying. I mean, it was rare, but it, yeah, was, but it was a little scary. Yeah, but that's, I mean... You saw the thing that now that UK is so very vaccinated, it's actually less deadly than the flu is, the COVID? Or- yeah. Or causing less deaths per year than the flu is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, um, you know, also, guys, maybe everybody get the flu vaccine every year, too, because it's uh, it's more likely to kill you than COVID. And if you got the COVID vaccine, flu vaccine, also a good idea. Yeah. And I know they're working on, I think Moderna was working on a combination flu and COVID vaccine that you could just get every year. Cool. Which, uh, uh, yeah, I think, I, and I think our future is like a, a new COVID vaccine once a year or so. Which I have no problem with, and I don't, you know, I, I, I sort of roll my eyes at the people that are like, oh no, 
I was cool with three shots, but a fourth one? Never. <laughs> like, what? Honest, this is how medicine works, guys. Honestly, I had some pretty severe uh, reaction to the third shot. So, I'm not super jazzed about the idea. Like, I, 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 I get my flu shots. They're not nearly as bad as the COVID booster was. Yeah, that just makes my arm hurt. So that's true. Every every COVID shot I've gotten, I've been knocked out for a full twenty four to thirty six hours. Yeah, and like if if we had a non complete and utter garbage uh, medicine approval system, then I would trust Moderna and Pfizer to work out a formulation that's less uh, um, uh, debilitating. debilitating. Yeah, but like since anything they any changes they make will have to go through, it looks like, quite possibly full FDA approvals. And there's basically no way they're going to make their money back on those. Like, that, I'm, I'm probably not going to get any more COVID shots, at least not until I'm significantly older than I am now. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to get my COVID shot, so well, that'll sure, make COVID not dangerous. Well, I just mean I'm going to get it, and that'll make it not dangerous to me, so I don't really care what anyone else does. Uh, and I think everyone should not care what anyone else does. Leave people alone. Because if you get your vaccines, then you're mostly fine. Indeed. All right. Eniash, you have a story for us about micro-lending. Yeah. I, this caught my attention because I was a really big fan of micro-lending. In fact, some of the, the charities that I've donated to in the past have been micro-lending ones just because they seem to have really good effects, uh, especially in the third world. Uh, but this is not about a third world micro-lending program. This is about an American micro-lending program. Um, there was a study of micro-lending programs here in America uh, given to women that shows that actually many of these small businesses that were opened after getting the micro-loans were actually MLM scams. And for people who aren't familiar, M MLM stands for multi-level marketing. It's basically a pyramid scam where you are forced to buy a lot of product, usually thousands of dollars worth of product, and then you're supposed to sell it to your friends and neighbors and also convince all them to start selling because you will get a percentage cut of whatever they sell and also a percentage cut of whatever uh, anyone that they recruit sells. It, it's literally a pyramid scheme, and uh, they owe basically always fail. The only way to be successful in one is to start running your own little local scam where you start signing up lots and lots of people in your area and get them to spend lots of money and impoverish themselves and you take a small cut of it. It sucks. Yeah, it's an inverted funnel. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very well. Uh, but uh, the, this microlending study, it did show that getting a microloan in general for the whole group did reduce material hardships uh, on average. However, there was no impact on the material hardships reported among women who ran MLM scams. Uh, this is also kind shocking. of shocking. Shocking indeed. Th this is particularly concerning because the study was done by Garim America, which is a uh, company, a organization at any rate, uh, that gives out microloans. Uh, so this was a study done by them on the microloans they've given out. They only consider you eligible for a microloan if you intend to start a business, which is an important caveat. Uh, they count MLM scams as a business, which is a major failing here. Uh, and the... <laughs> This was It was pointed out that the CEO of Garim American is Andrea Young, who is also the former chairman and CEO of Avon Products, a MLM scam company. Probably the biggest one. Yes, as far as I know, the, the longest lived one, probably, and huge. So, yeah, um, 
I don't know, there's there's not much to say about this aside from the fact that, you know, MLM scams suck. Please try not to get sucked into them. And if you're going to be donating to a micro-loan organization, maybe make sure first that they don't count MLM scams as legitimate businesses. I almost joined one of those uh, MLM companies when I was 19. Ooh, what were you trying to MLM? I don't even remember. But it was uh, I was at Drexel, and they have their co-op program where they're like, all right, for six months of the year, you go to school, and for six months, go get a job. And, uh, you know, we kind of help you get a job, but we have, like, way fewer jobs than students. Uh, so it was, like, basically, like, go out and get your own job. And I got uh, I, I went for an interview with one of these companies where they were like, oh, it's not even it's not a job. You're owning your own business. Yeah. Well, you're building a future for yourself. And I was like, I mean, that sounds good. But now that I look at this, this doesn't. Uh, this doesn't look like I would be getting money for my work. Um, and yeah, those uh, those companies suck and don't join them. Yeah, you usually get less than minimum wage for the effort that you put in. And but honestly, everyone I know who has joined them has lost money. And I know, I don't know, four people, I think, that have got sucked into them at one point or another. Because, yeah, you're required to buy a lot of stock to start up. And uh, then most people aren't terrible asshats that try to destroy other people's lives so they don't recruit people into the scam and they just have the stock they end up throwing away yeah and more importantly they study these things and almost everyone loses money yeah if you're going to get into this sort of hustle just sell drugs like the cool kids yeah at least then you're providing an actual valuable good to somebody sell drugs get money (laughs) don't sell cosmetics or tupperware or cutco knives yeah Next story, Eniash has some news for us about the FTC. Yes, this almost would count as happy news, I think, but uh, I'm not sure. So FTC demanded in a a recent ruling that Weight Watchers destroy the algorithms and or AI models that it built using illegally harvested data. Uh, This is the third time that the FTC has done this, the first time being in 2019 with the big uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook. Uh, And I think this is like actually a big deal because uh the quote was big fines are the cost of doing big business but algorithmic disgorgement which is what they're calling this destruction of algorithms and ai models is an actual deterrent because yet like the amount of time and money that it takes to make these is sometimes astounding i i know the the big whale in the room is gpt3 that takes i don't even know how many tens of millions of dollars to train one up maybe hundreds of millions uh and if that had to be destroyed because it used illegally harvested data that would be a massive hit uh but in general anyone that tries to make ai models with data that they have gotten illegally uh now looks like they might have to destroy those models which are very valuable tools and uh finally a deterrent to to fucking around with our data when you shouldn't yeah it seems like a reasonable penalty so you know the whole fruit of the poisonous tree idea yeah, I like it. I'm, I mean, it's only the third time this has happened. I'm sure there's going to be some terrible thing that might end up being as a result of this. But from what I can see, looks like a good idea. David, you're a business guy. Do you have any ideas, uh, opinions on this? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I follow the logic behind the big fines or the cost of doing business. Algorithmic do- disgorgement is an actual deterrent. Because if the reasoning is that these algorithms cost a lot of money to make then you can just set a fine equal to however much they cost to make, and then you're not destroying the value of the model, you're just reallocating it. 
I mean, the point is to destroy the value of the model. It's like forcing a company to destroy their uh, their factories instead of just paying the cost equal to the factory. So from a company's point of view, they don't care whether the money is confiscated or confiscated and given to someone else or confiscated and burned. Either way, they're they're not having the money anymore. Now, there's a difference between, like, if I know you're going to charge me $100 million, I can uh, budget for that. Whereas if I know you're going to destroy my equipment that costs $100 million... You can budget for that, too. <laughs> well, I guess, but I can't continue making my product now that my uh, factory is destroyed. And I suppose I could rebuild the factory and try to make it again. But I would also know that it's just going to be destroyed again because it's still illegal, right? Yeah, so I, I guess what it comes down to is I don't know how much of creating these mo- these uh, algorithms are um, like underlying uh, innovation in the technical areas versus how much is just getting an off-the-shelf thing and deploying it because uh, if the if the hard innovation work is already done then destroying it is just a matter of you know throwing more money at it again yeah but the hard innovation work isn't isn't due to the illegally harvested data which is the point i think the point here is they're saying you're not allowed to profit from harvesting this data so if you built a model using this data um, then you have to destroy the model and you're free to build a new model. And if you made, you know, technical innovations or whatever and have new knowledge, that's fine. We don't care about that. It's just you can't use this data to build the model um, because there's no other way to prevent to, to protect people's privacy. Sure. Yeah, I don't get rebuild your model with legal data. Sure. I get that. But my. Yeah. So I'm just not sure how this is supposed to be more of a deterrent than just leveling a fine of however much the the thing would cost to replace uh or that it cost to build do you really trust the government to price that adequately that's a good point i i think that i think the issue here is that like yeah they might they might undercharge and then the come from the company's perspective you could say well it'd be worth paying the fine if we get the model yeah and, and like the the other reservation i have here is i think the like there's there's a lot of talk about how like Facebook or whatever is stealing our data or whatever, and like I just find that framing really icky because I don't know what specifically Weight Watchers was doing, but as far as Facebook is concerned, they're not stealing data from me; they're creating data. Like I didn't have the data about my social networks and engagement patterns and so on. Uh, just floating around and then Facebook took it from me. Like, Facebook created the data by making a product that I use and as a byproduct of my using it generates this valuable data. So... Yeah, I think your, um, I think your intuition about this, uh, this penalty is going to really depend on whether you view the creation of these kinds of advertising algorithms as pro-social or anti-social. Uh, because I can see it as perspective, and I might feel this way if it was a different company, because, you know, Weight Watchers is a scam company and they suck. And I don't want them to be able to effectively advertise to people. Um, but if this was a company like Ikea or Amazon or somebody that actually serves a pro-social function, um, I might I might say that, yes, you are destroying value to society by telling them they have to delete their algorithm. Because if their algorithms are better, it just helps get products to people who actually want them better. 
Uh, but I know a lot of people look at these and say, like, no, no, this is a gross invasion of privacy. This is bad for society. Um, so the idea of destroying this, society's not losing anything. Society's actually gaining from this, even if the company's losing out. I'd like to add some clarifying data. And first of all, uh, I totally agree with both those points. Like, this could be a net negative destruction. Uh, for the clarifying data, Weight Watchers data was uh, taken from minors using an app who legally could not consent to um, giving that data over. And the Facebook data, if I remember correctly, was harvested from code being put on machines after they went to Facebook that would continue tracking your web activity after you left Facebook without telling you, uh, which was why those two um, in particular were deemed illegal. Um, so I think in these two particular cases, it was legit, uh, at least in my opinion. But you're, you're right that uh, this, this could actually be net harmful if it's destroying useful algorithms. All right. Interesting, interesting issue. So the tracking after the, the minors thing, I'm, I'm more sympathetic to that because I'm increasingly convinced that, uh, um, children on the internet is a stickier issue than I've previously, uh, given credence to, um, I'm still working through my thoughts about it, so I'm not sure I want to stake out a definite position yet, but I, I'm, I'm more, I am confused about the issue when I used to not be confused, so, um, yeah, and, and the Facebook thing, like, I assume that was in the terms of service somewhere, and, like, I have, I am also have increasingly mixed feelings about terms of service because like part of me thinks you know no one reads them but if you agree to a contract without reading them then you've committed one of the classic blunders and the other part of me is like okay but there's they're so long and most people read or encounter so many of them and they're so deliberately obscurantist that like it's not as much of a slam dunk. So yeah, all all of that's to say I'm I'm kind of working through some feelings about both of those cases and so uh, I don't really feel comfortable staking out an exact hot take right now. I think there's a case I think there's a case to be made that terms of service as they're implemented today are immoral and should be illegal in many cases, but yes, let's move on. I agree with half of that. Okay. Let, let's move on to an issue where there's much more moral clarity. Oh, good. Daylight savings time <laughs> Woo, is it's bad. the worst thing in the world. <laughs> ah, well, the Senate is trying to make it permanent. Uh, they actually voted unanimously to make daylight savings time permanent. Uh, now, apparently, there was some trickery involved here because I think Tom Cotton was not in favor of this, but didn't realize the vote was happening or something. <laughs> so they say it was unanimous. Um, it was passed through a a procedure called unanimous consent, but every senator was not in favor. We'll put it that way. Uh, but regardless, it was passed. Um, so now it's up to the House if they want to uh, get it passed. It's... Um, this is... this. I would. This should be in happy news, except for the fact that it hasn't passed both houses yet. But yeah, it, and it, the the problem is that it was passed through secret Congress, uh, but only through half of secret Congress. Now everyone's talking about it. Now it's got. Now there's all the think pieces out there about how actually um, daylight savings time is bad, and we shouldn't do it forever because we hate good things. Uh, y- you got it backwards. 
the uh, correct syntax is um actually, not actually um. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the, I thought it was um, well actually. Oh no, that's 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 what the the bad people do. When I say I hate daylight savings, what I what I mean is I hate the twice a year clock change. I don't give a flying fuck if we're on daylight savings or standard time, as long as the clocks don't change anymore. So this is just the best thing in the world, assuming the house, you know, does what they're supposed to do and doesn't need to be guillotined. See, I think that's a crazy view. Why? It's only two days. Deal with it. Oh, it is a massive disruption to my biology for a full week. Yeah. And well, I know I'm week. not the only person that this is really affects. Uh, strokes and heart attacks go up the day after. Uh, car accidents go up. It's it's completely unnecessary. It is a self-inflicted wound for no fucking reason. Yeah, and everyone actually agrees with that. The 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 argument is over whether it should be permanent DST or permanent um, standard time. And so, because it couldn't decide between going for the hay and going for the water, the donkey just stood there like an asshole until it died. <laughs> and that's my prediction. I don't think I don't think the house is going to pass this law. Oh no! It's got too much attention. Congress no. can't do things that have attention. What about things that are everybody loves? But everybody doesn't love this. I'm, There's I a big s- argument now about about which way we should go. Uh, Now, there is more hope for this than other laws because the Senate is usually the one holding things up, um, and it's already got passed through the Senate. So the House can do it just as a partisan measure. But I don't know, man. I think there's too many many takes out there already about how this would be a horrible idea, and so we're not going to do it because America hates goodness and light and happiness. That doesn't sound like the America I know. (laughs) Well, we have an opportunity to get more light. And we'll see if we take it. We're going to have the exact same amount of light. We cannot change the amount of light through Congressional Act. See, you think that. (laughs) But you just wait. You just wait. They'll legislate more light. Nice. Morning light doesn't count. Who cares about morning light? And don't come at me with these kids walking to school. Who cares? Oh, well, if you redefine morning light to not be actual light, then sure. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay, well, you know. Morning light doesn't count. Who cares? (laughs) Who cares about the morning? Who's outside in the morning besides school kids? I mean, redefining things is a popular hobby nowadays. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next story. This is a fun one. The United States Postal Service um, was supposed to switch over to 100% electric vehicles. I think Biden campaigned on that. He's the president, and he wants them to do it. But for some reason, he can't make them do it. And so they're not going to. They're just going to do 20% electric vehicles and 80% gas vehicles. Which, I guess... The Democrats don't believe in the unitary executive, but I would think he'd just be able to issue an executive order that says, hey, post office, buy electric vehicles. But apparently that's not a thing he can do. Why don't they want to buy electric vehicles? Well, I mean, Louis DeJoy's in charge. Go ask him. I, I could see maybe like some vehicles for way out in the rural countries where you got to drive a very long distance before you can charge. Does that happen? Uh, well, I think electric vehicles are more expensive. They don't cost gas to run and also don't have all the negative effects of pollution of both the noise and particulate variety. And also yeah. don't cost Social Security money. So why, do the, why does the federal government care? Here's a better question. Why do we have a postal service? That is a, that definitely is a, a better question. question. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't care what cars they buy. I just want them to... to repeal the law that says no one else is allowed to deliver letters and uh the answer as always is 
FDR was a monster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. Ineaj, you're going to tell us about Antarctica. And the Arctic as well. Uh, they are experiencing record heat, or at least were a few days ago when I had this, this when I saw this news article. Uh, Antarctica is more than 70 degrees warmer than average. Uh, for our international listeners, that's 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which I believe is something around 40 Celsius. Wait, I, uh, wait have we moved on to happy news? <laughs> well, we'll be able to grow wheat there to replace uh, what we're not growing in Ukraine and Russia. Yay! The Arctic is more than 50 degrees above average. Like, these are ginormous numbers, and it's it's both entirely unexpected and also um, likely just to be a fluke weather event. Uh, the the conjecture is that it's a big atmospheric river that is being pumped, uh, pumping in warm and moist air from the Pacific south, uh, at least in Antarctica, obviously not in the Arctic. Uh so it's it's probably not going to continue, but it was just such a huge jump above average that I it made some headlines and I had to point it out. Must be El Nino. Uh, yeah, oh. what do you want to bet that this is a uh, transient, um, just a transient one-off event, and also B will be used as clear evidence of global warming by literally the exact same people who say that unseasonably cold winters is not evidence against global warming. I mean, both of those are obviously true. It's already, you know, like I said, they're already saying it is a transient event and not uh, climate change. I haven't seen anyone say that this is proof of global warming, but maybe I just have aren't plugged into those circles anymore. Well, the, I mean, anytime anything happens, people are like, it's climate change, because one of the predictions of climate change is that the climate's going to change, and we're not quite sure how. There's lots of little bits to it, and they all work together to form the current climate. And anytime you change one thing, it can change ten other things in unexpected ways. Hmm. So, like, anytime anything happens, people are like, oh, this is probably because of climate change. What about when uh, when laptops are found with emails? Is that because of climate change? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. It's because of climate change and Hunter Biden are the only two things that cause anything. <laughs> he was feeling really warm one day, and so he left his laptop behind in a repair shop, which is still the craziest fucking bullshit I've ever heard. You wouldn't believe that if it was in a book. Well, uh, so I would believe it. That's why nobody did. I would believe it from yeah. Hunter Biden because he was probably on cocaine at the time. <laughs> because Hunter Biden really likes cocaine. Well, who doesn't like cocaine? Uh, me. Oh, anxiety yeah, and either. impotence? No, thank you. <laughs> I'd probably like it if I tried it. I always like drugs. Drugs are fun. <laughs> Wes is a big fan of impotence. I, I yeah. have heard good things about uh, chewing coca leaf, the uh, raw form. But All right. Well, speaking of cocaine, it's time to move on to happy news. Yay! Good news, everyone. First piece of happy news. Eniash, was this from you? It was, They're both from me, actually. Okay. Uh, well, then tell us about it. Maryland governor announces the elimination of four-year degree requirements for thousands of state jobs. Wait, wait, yeah. wait. Say that again? Yeah, fuck college. The Maryland governor, the governor of the state of Maryland, has announced uh, a program to eliminate the four-year college de- degree requirement requirement for thousands of state jobs. Okay, yeah, that... Less confusingly... It means you don't need a college degree to get a job. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. Uh, you're the first person I've ever met that, like, distinctly pronounces it Maryland. What? How do you pronounce it? Maryland. Yeah, it's Maryland. Well, I come from a European country, and I don't know your strange <laughs> ways. Well, I come from Pennsylvania, right on the Maryland border. 
Okay. So, so uh, it's definitely Maryland. Is it Nolens as well? <laughs> I mean, that one's uh, really only for locals. Okay. Out of towners who call it Nolens generally suck. Oh, uh, all right, all right. I'll try not to be one of those. So, uh, yeah. But I should say Maryland, even if I'm an out of towner. Correct. Okay, so Merland Governor announces <laughs> you don't need college degrees for thousands of state jobs. Not all of them, and only, you know, state ones, so it's a small small step forward, but at least it's something. Yep, it is, as we know in the biz, a start. Yes. All right, and what's our next story? Our next story is that scientists at the University of Texas at Austin have redesigned a key component of CRISPR. Uh, we've covered CRISPR at least twice before, I'm sure. You guys remember CRISPR, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a gene the, editing scissors. It's the thing that's going to kill us all if it's if uh, AI doesn't kill us all. Or turn us into mutant atomic supermen. Fuck yeah. Uh, so CRISPR is a thing that turns us into mutant atomic supermen. It's a gene editing tool based off of a virus which can uh, find little snippets of DNA and replace them with other little snippets of DNA, uh, which is someday going to save us all from lots of things, including aging, uh, I hope. but uh, Including ugliness. Oh god, that one too. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of age, a lot of the downside of aging is ugliness. So, kind of two for one stone there. That's really not even <laughs> even near the top, but you know, I'd say it's in the top five easily. That's because you are a very vain person. Hmm. But anyway, what's the good news? Now I want to fight with uh, you about so, this. So <laughs> I I agree that it's in the top five, but the other items in the top five are things like. Being unable to move around on your own and or wipe your own ass and being in constant pain and dying. So, like, technically it's in there, but, but it like but there's a there's a pretty remember, big gap between number four and number five. So the uh, cardinal <laughs> ranking isn't terribly informative there. It's also to remember, if you can't wipe your own ass, that is very unattractive. So by making yourself more attractive, you have to solve that problem first. So it's kind of a, a virtuous cycle. You know okay, we didn't say unattractive. We said ugliness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Purely cosmetic. I, I still think it's it's a big deal. The hedonic. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Anyway, tell, a, tell us about how uh, CRISPR is becoming recursively self-improving. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cas9, it's uh, a, a aspect of CRISPR. I'm not sure exactly what part of it it is. I think it's, it's the thing that finds the... Okay. Uh, it is a protein, and they made it thousands of times less likely to target the wrong stretch of DNA, while remaining just as efficient as the original version. Uh, the problem was, originally, the Cas... Yeah, oh yeah, here it is. Yeah, Cas9 protein. The Cas9 protein kind of floats around searching for DNA with some specific sequence of 20 letters, and uh, when they find them, they, they go in and edit them. Uh, sometimes, when most of the letters are correct, except those in spots 18 through 20, Cas9 goes ahead and changes it anyway, which is a problem, because you, you don't want it to change things it shouldn't be changing. Yeah, that uh, could be important. Yeah. Reachers found out why that was. There was actually a little stabilizing structure inside Cas9. They say that it looks kind of like a finger in the simple explainer uh, that would uh, reach down and hold the thing steady and force the rewrite anyway, even though 18 through 20 didn't uh, didn't match. Um, hey, Cas9, don't... don't hold hold dna pieces down and forcibly rewrite them that oh wow that just went to a dark place <laughs> um, right this should be on the worth the candle podcast i know right that's what i was just thinking they uh anyways they discovered that's what was happening and they changed it so now that piece pushes the uh, the dna strand away rather than forcing it closer to be changed which uh yeah reverse the problem it, it is now yeah. much much better 
Ccast9, we're learning about boundaries. This is good. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's happy news, so that brings us to troop deployments. I'm willing to put wave after wave of men at your disposal. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we ask each of our hosts to send out a soldier onto the battlefield every episode. And we'll start, as always, with David. Yeah, so um, I recently saw a uh, little snippet of one of Zvi's posts on the Ukrainian war where he talks about how uh, the diplomats working on a peace resolution for said war uh, were talking about how an agreement is likely months away. I wanted to talk about this because... um, if you so when you learn that you should be you should not think it you should be putting much more weight on the war will last for years than you should on the war will last for months uh the reason why is because um the durations of wars and also the casualties in wars are roughly power law distributed Uh, The vast majority of total time at war comes from a relatively small number of World War slash Vietnam slash Global War on Terror behemoths. More precisely, if X is our estimate of the total duration of a war when all said and done, then for each day that passes, the ideal Bayesian prior value for X will rise by more than one. Uh, That's obvious enough to be worth repeating. For every day that passes with a war ongoing... Our best guest, yeah. Our best guess for the total duration of the war, from soup to nuts, should increase by more than one day, all else equal. The same applies to the number of casualties. For everyone killed in Ukraine, the best guess final death toll should rise by more than one. Take both these facts together, and it's much more likely uh, than it was when tanks first started rolling that something stupid will happen which ends in nukes flying and or NATO getting dragged in. A settlement is at least months away is the worst news I've heard in a while, possibly even worse than the news of the invasion itself. Well, that sucks. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Uh, Eniash, what do you have for us? Um, I don't have much of a troop deployment this week. I want to push the norm that humor is good and important. Okay, so because Inyash isn't doing the troop deployment, I thought he was going to. I want you guys to edit your memories for uh, the Daylight Savings discussion to include a plug for Scott Alexander's short story, The Witching Hour, which is very good. All right. Thanks, David. Uh, Inyash, tell us about how people deserve to be slapped for jokes. Uh, Yeah. I found myself increasingly grumpy over the last couple years, and I'm sure there's a number of reasons to lead to that, but it just seems to be a general thing uh, with the world, as far as I can tell. Maybe that's my grumpiness speaking, but I'm finding fewer and fewer people who are able just to laugh at things sometimes, and I think it is important to be able to diffuse tension and cross the aisle, so to speak, with other people, realize that we're all human, and a great way to do that is just to have some humor and uh, and joke with each other. And I realize there's this whole um, problem with sometimes beating up on a minority, the punching down, as it used to be called, before that term became stupid, and I don't want to encourage that at all. But really, I remember, like, 10 years ago, wondering what the hell is wrong with the extreme conservative side of uh, society that they just don't have any humor. Not only do they not find anything funny, but when they try to produce humorous content like uh, the Daily Show equivalents, they couldn't do it. It wasn't funny. And uh, now that has spread and there's more things that are not funny. And I I think 
Things being funny and being able to take a joke is important. One of the things I most appreciate about this podcast that I do with you guys is that even though sometimes we disagree quite strongly, we always joke with each other about it and call each other butt monkeys and uh, have a You're good time. You're a butt monkey. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, I can I can strongly disagree with other people, but as long as like we can couch that disagreement sometimes in jokes and still appreciate each other as humans, uh, that's a good thing. And that's why I want to push a norm. I, I know this is purely just a norm thing, that I do think humor is good, and uh, I, I want it to be more respected and valued in uh, society. So that's what I'm saying. Don't Don't slap people for jokes unless, you know, maybe... If they're extreme jokes, even then, I, I don't think violence is a good reaction to humor. Let's, Unless uh, the slap is really funny. <laughs> I, I suppose in that case. All right. Well, thank you, Eniash. Sure. Uh, my troop deployment, uh, we're gonna, well, we're going to add that to the list of why the mind killer is great. Um, and my troop deployment will also be adding something to that list. It won't be obvious at the start, but don't worry. I get to it. Okay. So my troop deployment is that sex workers' lives matter. A year ago... A man went to three Atlanta massage parlors and shot eight people. Last week, President Biden released a statement honoring the victims. The statement was laser-focused on the issue of violence against Asian Americans. Oh, my God. Biden's statement reflected the press coverage at the time, which was completely focused on the fact that six of the eight victims were Asian. The problem with this narrative is that the killer didn't target these women because they were Asian. In fact, two of them weren't Asian. He targeted them because he believed they were sex workers. He claimed he had a sexual addiction, and these massage parlors were sources of temptation. Instead of killing himself, he decided to murder a bunch of women to eliminate the temptation. He was arrested on his way to Florida, intending to attack people in the porn industry. Now, I don't even know what you call this, but it's disgusting the way the entire mainstream media took this awful thing that happened to sex workers and shoehorned it into a preferred narrative of anti-Asian violence. This could have been an opportunity to highlight the danger that sex workers are in because of the quasi-legal or often downright illegal nature of their jobs and general contempt our society has for women who exercise too much agency over their own sexuality. It could have started a real push for decriminalization of sex work as more people realized how much the current system harms sex workers and how much sex workers themselves want decriminalization to happen. Instead, we got a tired, woke narrative about racial violence, even though it wasn't true, because that's the narrative that readers wanted. So I'm going to add an addendum to my troop deployment from last week. Another reason The Mind Killer is the best news podcast is because we don't really give a fuck what you want. Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) We're not going to report stories falsely to reinforce a narrative. We try our best to report the truth of what actually happened, and when we get it wrong, we go back and correct it prominently at the top of the show. And fuck all these news outlets for sticking with the anti-Asian hate crime narrative even a year later after it's been conclusively disproven. And fuck Joe Biden for playing into it. These women were murdered because the murderer thought they were sex workers. This was attack on their community, and sex workers everywhere deserve to have that acknowledged. Fuck yeah. All right, that's our show for uh, these two weeks. Please follow us wherever you follow podcasts. Please leave us reviews on review platforms. Um, Please subscribe on Substack and give us your money. Uh, You'll get episodes early. You'll get access to bonus episodes. And you'll get access to our exclusive subscriber-only Discord channel. And we'll be back in two weeks. Same rat time, same rat channel. Bye. Bye.